Welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspire. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the movie pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Dan. Dan, we got a good show this week, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, everybody loves an origin story, right? And so we are actually going back. Consider yourselves all lucky folks. We are heading back to 2016, and this week we're going to look at the MCU introduction and origin of Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. That is a, a fun movie. I been a while since i seen it so we watched it and we're going to talk about it but before we do that we've got a little bit of comic book news that we want to talk about and dan there was some big news this week we're going to put a little bit of a spoiler warning on this actually a big one if you happen to read comics and you're reading especially amazing spider-man and somehow you've survived the week without already having this spoiled because it's kind of been everywhere at this point you might want to skip ahead a few minutes and uh, and not be listening to this week in the comics. In Amazing Spider-Man number 26, we found out last week that Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, is actually going to be killed as part of a Spider-Man storyline. And somehow or another... For the last month or two, there's been a storyline going in Amazing Spider-Man where Peter Parker has done something. We don't know what it is. Everybody's angry at him. And lots of things have changed in his life. And it turns out, evidently, somehow or another, he got Kamala killed. A lot of people are really concerned with the fact that Marvel decided to do this. And you can count me among them because it's a really sort of tone-deaf take on a character that a lot of younger people, a lot of folks who are maybe newer to the hobby have really attached to. And while there are folks out there who are, you know, old white guys like me who are like, ah, characters die all the time. I think it's a little different here because, yeah, maybe some character that's been around since the 1960s dies and then comes back or, or the like. But while we all know Ms. Marvel is probably going to come back, uh, potentially by being turned into a mutant and taken to Krakoa because all mutants right now can be res resurrected at Krakoa and this sort of thing. It just seems like this is a terrible decision right as the Marvel's movie is coming out, right when there might be people who are looking for, hey, why don't I go and read some Ms. Marvel comics? Right. And she's just been killed off in the Marvel Universe. It's happened before with other characters, too, recently, where they kill them off just as the movie's coming out. But this one, I think, really hurts. What do you think about this? Have you uh, find it a little I, weird? I, I've read a little bit about this, and it, this, this seems really, really rough and very surprising as well, given we just had the TV series with Miss Marvel as well. You've got the movie coming up later this year. There was, like, new comic books that she was being featured in i remember moon knight and miss marvel being together in one late last year as well and it's just it's like this yep. this 
it it didn't make any sense to me i you know i know there's going to be a follow-up book coming fallen friend the death of miss marvel and all of this and they they brought back one of the original creators of the character g willow wilson is going to help write some of this that is going on post death of camilla khan but this yeah this doesn't feel great because it is as you said a, a a minority character and a, a, I think the only Muslim yep. superhero Probably. character that we have. Probably that the most is prominent anyway. Prominent anyway. There's a, there's a few. Um, that, that is, get, gets killed off so some white kid yeah. can get a uh a, It's, a it's also weird because, you know, with Doctor Strange, they actually did the same thing. Just before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness came out, we ended up getting the whole Death of Doctor Strange storyline with you know, Jim right. McKay writing it. But all that happened in the Doctor Strange comic book. And then there's a five-issue series called The Death of Doctor Strange that's sort of this event that leads up to it. And people who are interested in the character can get this idea that there's something going on with their character, right? It's really unusual and kind of disrespectful to just have a character murdered in somebody else's book. Right. Unexpectedly. This does not happen in comics. And so, yeah. I don't want to say too much because we haven't seen how it's handled. We don't want it going on. But I do think that it it shows a, a level of tone deafness on the part of Marvel that is discouraging. I'm very, very interested in seeing how the once the book comes out, uh, the if if the reaction continues the way it has been, and I, I like I said, right rightfully so, I think there should be some some questioning of this, and and I don't know if there's a way that they can do this where it isn't going to end up looking bad when it's all said and done. But I would have to be one heck of a comic book to save this. I have to say, so we'll see. We will see. Well, with that, we're going to switch into some more lighter news. Uh, what's available on Marvel Unlimited this week? We actually have sure. nine different oh number ones debuting on Marvel Unlimited this week. We have Daredevil and Echo, number one. We have Jed McKay's The Avengers coming out, number one. Storm has a book. Danny Ketch's Ghost Rider. We have Carnage Reigns Alpha. And even Moon Knight, Murder World Moon Knight is on. Uh, among those that are coming that's out that's, crazy. that's just a few of them but there's there is a whole bunch uh definitely if you're looking for something new there is a lot of places to, that you can look to start this week in marvel unlimited very cool Andy, i'm looking a... forward to a couple of those i think the daredevil echo book and mckay's avengers both i'm looking forward to reading yeah the the Daredevil Echo book seems interesting, especially since we found out this week that Echo, the TV series, is coming out in no, in in late November, mm-hmm. just right around Thanksgiving time. So, yep, and all dropping at once, which is a little weird. Yes, so yes. that is that is true as well. So, do you have a recommendation for us for this week, Dan? Yeah, I'm leaving comics for just a tiny bit, but staying well within genre fiction, I have decided to get a Paramount Plus uh, sort of test uh, or trial membership to see some of the Star Trek stuff I haven't seen in a while. And for whatever reason, decided to start with Star Trek Strange New Worlds, 
This is the best Star Trek show I have seen since maybe the original Star Trek. I absolutely loved it. I watched it, and then I got my son, and we started over, and we watched it. And it is just absolutely fantastic. Anson Mount, maybe... Yes. He's, he's definitely among my probably two or three top captains, but he's very close to uh -huh. being my favorite captain, which is insane. Yeah, he... He, he was in Discovery uh, because for a season he was captaining uh, the, the Discovery ship and then, yeah, went over to, to Strange New Worlds. And that is a great first season. We've got a new season coming out later this year, so you can look out for that. But, yeah, wholeheartedly agree with this recommendation. If you are at all a Star Trek fan, I think I like this just... Oh, it... it Next generation is my my is my Star Trek. This is very very close to that. It is it is mm -hmm. a lot of fun and really interesting. Uh, great writing, great acting, uh, yep. just just a really good set. Really of Really is just fantastic television. So cool. Yeah. Alrighty. So I think this is the point where we lead into your traditional sort of a disclaimer, and then we're <laughs> off to, we're off to talk about a movie. Yes. So we are going to give you a spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about the 2016 Doctor Strange film. Yes, that, that is a movie from like seven years ago. But if you haven't seen it and you do not want uh, anything spoiled or you want to watch the movie before hearing us discuss it, uh, definitely pause the, the podcast right now. Go check that movie out. I think it's a pretty good movie. And You'll enjoy yourself, and then you can come back and, and uh, join in the discussion. Mm -hmm. And with that, I'm going to give you the film facts for Doctor Strange from 2016. The tagline for the film is, Open your mind, change your reality. It was released October 25th, 2016. It has a runtime of 115 minutes. Box office worldwide, it uh, made just over $677 million. Domestically, it earned $232 million on a budget of $165 million. That, that budget actually kind of surprised me, given some of the special effects and stuff. Uh, IMDb rating, 7.5 out of 10. The movie stars Benedict Cumberpatch. Chuatel, Ejiofor, Rachel McAdams, Benedict Wong, Mads Mikkelsen, and Tilda Swinton. It is directed by Scott Derrickson. It is the screenplay was written by John Spates, Scott Derrickson, and C. Robert Cargill. Those are your film facts for Doctor Strange. Very cool. Oh man. Very interesting. I think it's partly, it's interesting now to look at, you know, like Cumberbatch and Benedict Wong and, and, but I think Tilda Swinton was probably the, the highest profile actor in Doctor Strange when it came out because Cumberbatch was getting famous, but you know, this was around the time that he was still doing a lot of the more like television type stuff like Sherlock had though. So this kind of was when he really broke through. So like, I think it was he started to break through with Sherlock and then and then this like mm -hmm. exponentially because you know suddenly yeah. he was 
this was like I think his first, first big foray. All right, so you ready to uh, get a get a we'll call it a few minute recap of the uh, of the show, and then maybe talk about some some discussion topics. So this movie actually opens up uh, with kind of a little vignette. It opens up in a remote temple where a group of mystic thieves. Uh, invade a library and kill the librarian by lopping off his head, after which they steal the single page from one of the ancient books stored in the library. As they escape, they're chased by this hooded magic user who confronts them and takes them on in a city-bending mystic battle. Um, we then cut off to an operating room where Stephen Strange is being ta uh, both talented and sort of insufferable. He saves a gunshot victim, flirts with his ex, who's another doctor at the hospital, and then ends up driving incredibly unsafely and makes a, makes a bad decision that sends him off a cliff while he's checking his phone. This results in massive injuries, including serious permanent problems in his hands, which no surgery can fix. Eventually, he keeps trying to find some way to get back to being a surgeon, finds a man who'd healed from injuries that should have been impossible to recover from, and has led to Kamartaj, where he's taken into a community of monks. Once there, he has his eyes opened in ways that his cynical medical mind would not have believed possible. He's befriended by a master named Mordo, who convinces the Ancient One, the leader of the group, to teach him, even though she is worried that he is too much like a previous student named Caecilius, who went bad. We eventually find out that's the guy who's leading the group that had invaded the library in the opening scene. All right, so this is kind of our base setup. What do you think of sort of pre-mystical Doctor Strange? I think they did a great job of making him seem just abs like an absolute jerk. Just this arrogant, pompous, I know everything. I am, I am the smartest person in the room and I know it. And I'm going to lord it over you. And uh, I... Mm -hmm. It was, it, it was something, just sort of that, that everything changed with that accident. And that is, by the way, one of the most horrific car crashes I think I've seen in a movie. It, yep. is, it is, it is absolutely rough. And then, you know, his kind of attempts to find answers and, and seeking out help and other doctors and things like this. It was... It, it was kind of tough to watch almost. It was, it was really difficult. Yep. And it was difficult, but it was also difficult because you didn't really feel for him, even though he was going through no. it because he was awful to himself and to everyone else the whole time. You know, he's, he's trying to find all these solutions, but he's also sort of bullying everybody who's trying to help him because he still thinks he knows best on everything. And he just refuses to, except that this won't work it's interesting kind of to consider like him and tony stark in that they're very similar one's a one's a technologist one's a doctor they both get themselves into a bad situation where they're terribly injured and then in an effort to sort of heal themselves or get out of the situation that they mostly caused themselves they end up turning into superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but yeah, there is, there is like 
and it's weird because like I think part of it is there's some charisma there that that Absolutely. Tony Stark has that that Stephen Strange just does not have. He, he is off-putting, frankly. He is like an absolute jerk to everyone around yes. him. And so, yeah, and and then like his search for answers and and all this sort of thing. Like the the like scene right before he leaves to go to Kathmandu and the Taj Mahal where he, you know, Christine Palmer brings him food and, you know, he's just gotten off the phone with a doctor that won't help him. And then they start fighting and basically said, he says something, something to the effect of, well, what do I have to live for you? And like, that's some terrible, terrible thing. And then, and, yeah. and then she's like, well, this is the part where you'd apologize. And he's like, well, this is the part where you'd leave. And then she leaves. It's just he is insufferable, as you said, and and you don't you just don't feel for him at all. Yep. Yeah. So so that's Stephen Strange, even up to the point where he makes it to this place. And when he gets there, he's still very much in a there is no mysticism. The world is only what we can see and and what we can touch and and understand, and. This is the pivot point when he gets there and the, the Ancient One sort of opens up his mind to the idea of an astral plane and, and mysticism and the like. At that point, he decides to say and really gets down to business. He meets Wong in the library, uh, starts to study, read books, etc. At a, at a rapid pace. A lot of the same things that made him a great doctor now make him a very good student to the mystical arts. Still... He's having trouble with his hands, ends up stranded on Everest as an, an incentive to develop his skills, ends up getting better rapidly once he decides to study and practice, eventually finds, uh, eventually Strange finds the Eye of Agamotto while he's in the library, ends up opening it, which is something who a young person like himself should not be able to do, and kind of turns back and forward time to destroy an apple. And this is foreshadowing, obviously, right? But ends up being warned about the dangers of manipulating time, after which Wong and Mordo teach him also about the role of the Ancient One and her students, how they defend the multiverse against mystical threats, much as the Avengers do against physical threats. It turns out they're centered in three sanctums that form this protective shield around the planet. And this exposition comes right at the exact time we need it, because just as they're talking about that, Caecilius attacks the Sanctums, and Strange ends up being drawn into a fight with him and his followers at the New York Sanctum. The defender of that Sanctum is murdered in front of him. He ends up fighting them, tosses a few of them through some mystical windows and the like, just about defeats Caecilius, but ends up losing uh, and being injured badly. Turns out that the Cloak of Levitation has taken a, a bit of a liking to him, though. It helps to save him, and eventually he ends up teleporting back to the hospital he used to work at, where his ex-girlfriend, Christine Palmer, finds him, patches him back together as they sort of catch up on what's been going on while Strange has been out of town. All right, so that now we have Doctor Strange. He's got his cape. He's, He's turned into a mystic. He's not really still a superhero at this point. He's just a guy who got drawn into a fight. Yeah. Yeah. They, but, it, it's interesting. He, he like, 
he does get sort of drawn in because Caecilius attacks the New York, the New York Sanctum, kills, kills the, uh, the sorcerer, uh, on, the master on watch. And basically, so the, the Sanctum doesn't fall. He basically starts trying to deal with, 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 uh, Caecilius and his, and his, uh, and his minions. And it yep. is, it, it's, it's, it's quite something, but. I don't know. I, I guess like you're still like I'm not even rooting for him yet. Like there's not, yeah. there's still he, he still doesn't like he doesn't really want to be there. He's just sort of there. He ended up there because he got blown into the into the sanctum from an explosion yep. in the London sanctum that they were looking in on when Caecilius attacked there. And it's yep. I don't know. It, it's. It, it was it was interesting, but the thing I did like about this whole part is like he ends up at the hospital and he has that sort of astral version of himself, but he's talking to Christine mm-hmm. Palmer just like he did in the comics that we read last week. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the the that happens every once in a while with him that his astral form is sitting around bothering people while they're trying to help him, but it's it was very obvious uh, in in the oath and this one that they were very similar. So, all right, so things are going bad, but he's now been to the hospital. He gets patched up. Uh, at this point, the action really starts getting pretty heavy and mind-bending. So we have the Ancient One, Mordu, and Doctor Strange on one side, facing off in the mirror dimension against Cassilius and his minions, who've made a deal to deliver the Earth to the dread Dormammu of the Dark Dimension. And the mirror dimension is this sort of weird alternate space that these mystics can enter into where they can fight each other and do things without actually affecting the regular world. But they can affect each other in there, definitely. The Ancient One actually during this is revealed to have been drawing powers from the Demark Dimension all along, which is very much against her own rules. So Mordo's disillusioned by all that he finds out, but he and Strange rush back to New York where they end up fighting these minions of Caecilius. During that battle, the Ancient One dies, but they don't have time to worry about that a lot. They have to go all the way to Hong Kong, head on in to try and help Wong, who is fighting against Dormammu and the forces there. Wong, unfortunately, ends up dead. The Sanctum's destroyed. Dormammu's on his way. Everything looks like it's lost until Strange remembers the apple and says, you know... I can probably take care of this. So he times everything back, tries to save things, and eventually goes into the dark dimension, confronts Dormammu, and ends up trapping him in a permanent time loop while he keeps trying to negotiate a deal. Ends up being killed God knows how many times. (laughs) But he just keeps Uh coming back, right? Eventually Dormammu gives up. He agrees to leave the Earth alone. Caecilius is eaten by the dark dimension, and Strange ends up taking over as Protectum of the New York Sanctum while he continues to study with Wong. And that's your movie. No. That is, that is Dr. Strange. That's a, a good summation of everything that happened in there. So there was actually a lot that went on, the, especially yeah. in the first part of the movie late. It turns into just a lot of punching and stuff like that. But the, the first part of the movie, there's actually a lot of story being pushed. So. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely some world building here. They have to introduce characters. They have to sort of help you understand 
that there's a difference between, you know, the superheroes that we've been seeing before and what mm-hmm. Doctor Strange is. And, and so I think the big place that we should start is science versus the mystic arts, because they I think they actually did a really good job of, of showing that there are differences and, and that there is uh, they almost complement each other there would one can pick up where the other one leaves off and i mm-hmm. and and actually you know dr strange himself is very much in the science camp at the beginning the i i know i believe what i can see and there you know i don't believe in chakras and all this sort of thing and is in his speech to 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 the ancient one until she you know says you need to open your eye which by the way was excellent that she she used her thumb on the middle of his forehead, right where his third eye ends up becoming, yep. uh, you know, in the comics and, and at the yep. end of the multiverse of madness. And so yep. it was it was a really interesting, interesting story. Yep, absolutely. I think that they, they did a nice job, too, of sort of defining magic. I think you kind of have it here, too, that it's yes. not so much about just you know you can pull a rabbit out of your hat type of thing it's more being able to manipulate the physical world and move through different physical worlds it's yes. it's more about almost almost like like some i don't know how you describe it you go ahead ah uh, it's almost like so, you're doing so, these tug of wars or something like that so yeah yeah so you know in in reading reading about this they they were talking about how they wanted to kind of ground the magic a little bit in in this that that it it couldn't just be people throwing lightning at each other because like that gets kind of old and ends up being not very interesting when everybody can you know basically do whatever the heck they want Mm -hmm. and so yeah, you, you you basically have people manipulating things or, or pulling from other dimensions aspects or, or different like things that are readily available in other dimensions that aren't relevant, you know, readily available here. And that's what they use to, to, to do this sort of magic or the mystic arts that they're doing in this film. Yep. And, uh, you know, they were talking to Kevin Feige was talking about you know, the concept of magic in the MCU is inspired by the matrix, which I think is actually a really interesting way of, uh, of looking at it. Or you said the, the, the fantasy works of Stanley Kubrick, where, where you, you know, you just have this like situation here. I I think of the matrix and I think of the mirror dimension, right? Because they had that like loading, the, the loading screen in the loading room, and then they could do whatever they wanted. And it, felt lifelike but they wouldn't really do any damage to each other or they wouldn't necessarily do any damage like to the world and that sort of thing so it was really it was it was really interesting yep no very cool i they did a nice job with it and then you know we're going to talk about the visuals on that a little later so we can wait with that but also just that idea that you know the next point is talking about how this sort of begins to bring the idea of a multiverse into the consciousness of, yeah. of people who are watching the movies. Because 
you start seeing these different dimensions, these different realities, and then we'll start looking at them, you know, more more explicitly in later shows. For now, it's just sort of like you get a little peek through the window that this is out there, and then you know we'll we'll get back to that in later in later movies. They they taught. Uh, I remember the ancient one saying talking about looking through the keyhole, and we did sort of get the keyhole mm-hmm. here with the with the multiverse because yeah this is like the first mention really of the multiverse and and the fact that there are different different dimensions and things like this that could be i mean you i think you had like ant-man talked about you know the quantum realm and some different things like that but i you know you had like little one-off things but here they were talking about you know hundreds and thousands of different 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 you know versions uh, of the world and that some of them are you know could be very similar to to the prime one uh you know that that they know but but are different in you know small differences and that sort of thing so it it was really interesting the ears perked up when i heard you know them start talking about multiverse in here yep it's it's all the eye of agamotto's fault so there you go and they reference and they and they reference Infinity Stone at the end. You know, you talk, and, we and had, they do. Yep. We we had Wong said you shouldn't go walking around with an Infinity Stone around your neck, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's the Time Stone. Then that that makes perfect that makes perfect sense. Yep. But the other the, the other thing that was kind of interesting is I had read that uh, screenwriter C. Robert Cargill talked about the dialogue that that was written between. Doctor Strange and the Ancient One, and and you know him believing wholeheartedly in science, and her you know talking about opening up the mind, and that there's lots we don't know. Uh, said that you know a lot of that dialogue was inspired by debates on religion that he himself had had with a, a former roommate. So you know that yep that that's really kind of kind of fun and interesting because it's like I can imagine having some of those those sorts of debates maybe when you're in college or, yes. or that sort of thing it's like yes huh, that ends up in a movie down the road that's that's pretty crazy <laughs> yep i can i can see that absolutely so the the next thing i have to talk about i think is benedict cumberbatch himself because i feel like he really does a fantastic job of embodying Dr. Stephen Strange in this. And, and, it, and it turns out, uh, apparently he, he had that right from the beginning because I was watching the kind of the making of uh, that they have on Disney Plus, and he was the first choice for this role. And, and they, they, he had to actually turn down the role because he was currently working uh, on a play in Europe, uh, Hamlet, actually, mm-hmm. and and had commitments for several months that would have uh, interfered with the start of production of the movie. And so they ended up going out looking for a replacement and basically decided that, you know, they couldn't find a, a suitable replacement that, or one that they felt like they wanted to go with. So they actually postponed shooting for six months so that he could complete his commitment on Hamlet uh, on Hamlet 
and and they talked about it one of the executive producers said you know he basically finished up his last performance of hamlet and 36 hours later he was in catman do doing you know shooting his first scenes for the movie that that's he he was very committed to the role and then once he got in you know he got in there he 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 liked the role he said because of the story arc that Stephen has in there he liked the fact that he he grew as a character throughout this whole story and and learned some things and 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 um you know ended up studying medical procedures that they were going to be talking about or performing during the start of the film and then went on like a strict diet and exercise regiment so that he could do some of the stunts mm-hmm. and the the wire work that had to be done and and do convincing action sequences and so he he just i think nailed it and and like some of the the deadpan humor that he has in this as well was was very well done i i just I was surprised, like going back and and then watching this again, just how perfect it felt like that casting was for that character. Yep, I would I would agree. I think that's true. He is a he was a uniquely good choice for that for that role, and he he's got the look and the frame and just the kind of the general almost attitude around him, almost an aura of what you would expect Strange to have. And the nice thing is that Cumberbatch himself seems to be a relatively laid back guy. So as you as you get past the terrible doctor part that he plays at the beginning, the role of later day Stephen Strange, I think, is something that he inhabits pretty naturally. Yeah, that uh, one I I was also surprised now actually reading some some Doctor Strange comics just he just sort of kind of looks the part too like he does sort of look like some of the some of the versions of of Doctor Strange that I I've seen in some of the comics it was you know when he when he finally mm-hmm. shaves the beard down to the like the the smaller goatee and stuff it, it, and then he gets the cloak on and it, and it just sort of just sort of fits. To me. Yep. Yep. I would agree. Casting choice, brilliance again. So. Uh, so let's. One of the thing I go for it. So one of the things I kind of like the to talk about is that I think that you know some of the comics we read and the like, you can see this is relatively faithful to the origins. From the comic books, oh yeah, you can definitely. I would, I would hope see Stephen Strange in the comics in the in the Doctor Strange of the movie. So we've got he's arrogant. He's got his car crash. His hands are ruined. He goes to try and find the Ancient One to get a cure. A lot of the same characters that were in the comics are there. There's a few that have changed a little bit. Yeah, uh, the Christine Palmer character, who we've talked about as the Night Nurse right. in the Marvel universe is not really prominent in the original. The Ancient One, uh, instead of being sort of a wizened old Asian man, is instead not. Is Tilda Swinton yeah. instead. Yeah. They're both bald, and that's about the only <laughs> real, like, 
Well, that similarity. Yeah, I mean that that's interesting. I think I think there was definitely some work done to try and avoid some of those stereotype issues that we talked about last week. You know, I, I, definitely Wong is not this like manservant that 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 he is in some of the comics, and in fact, he's sort of referred to in that in that way. But yeah, the 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 director uh, Scott Derrickson specifically talked about the Ancient One. And trying to avoid stereotypes and 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 that sort of things, basically thought of the ancient one as a title rather than a person, and so and he and he actually really wrote this role specifically for Tilda Swinton, and and was like, I'm actually, you know, let's let's go completely different and have this like, you know, really strong woman in sort of this man's role doing the doing the thing and and i think she actually nails it really well and and uh, and, and does it you take a great actor and put them in pretty much any role and they're gonna yeah hopefully be a great actor yes. so yeah i i think it worked well and it does prevent some problematic things that would have been there Obviously, there were people who were angry about this because the Ancient One's not supposed to be a woman and everything like that. But I think she did a good job. I liked the twist on it that the Ancient One was, in many ways, you know, part of the problem because of the fact that in order to do the good things that she wanted to do, she was using the very magic that is forbidden and that's going to get them in trouble. So... That's that puts a little bit of a darker twist on the ancient one than you than you a lot of times see in the comics as well. I I like I liked that the uh, that the origin from the comic was pretty faithful then in the in the MCU introduction. It, 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 mm-hmm. it I think it just I think it makes things easier, um, especially when it it seemed like at least from the books that we read last week it feels like there is a fairly decent fairly you know a fairly good origin to to work from right there it, it's not some like really weird really really yes. convoluted thing it's not some like crazy thing it's not you know some just sort of ridiculous yep. thing it it is the there's there's enough there that you can actually make a good film from it right and and yet it's still straightforward and easy to understand nothing about that was something that you know obviously a lot of these books they were made for kids and a 10 year old can easily understand exactly what's going on and what the motivations of dr strange is and so can everybody who's in the theater it all makes perfect sense, and it's sort of an archetypical kind of thing. So, really well done, though. I I like it when, and Marvel was getting really good at this, when adaptations trust the source material enough to know. There's a reason this has been successful for 50 years. Let's just go yeah. with it. Yeah. So you have a note in here, Dan, you liked the humor that we that we saw in the film. I really did. I like the fact that in many cases the humor was used to humanize the characters 
and to sort of build relationships. And a lot of it was very sort of tongue-in-cheek and even almost awkward at times. But, you know, like, have you seen that before in a gift shop? She says after she sends him to the astral dimension because he's Hi. he's complaining about all you know it all just being a bunch of hokum, uh, the whole Wi-Fi password thing was oh, yes. was kind of fun, and then when Wong and Strange I think we've seen them have this relationship now for multiple movies, but you know he comes in and he tries to make a joke and Wong never responds. He's like people used to think I was funny. <laughs> Wong's response was perfect. He's like, did they work for you? And it's just a, an absolutely yeah. just cutting slam. And, and, he, and he deadpans it so well, too. It's just yep, fabulous. He really does. The, so yeah, I, it, I there wasn't, there, wa- there wasn't, I, there was just enough humor. Right? Mm-hmm. They didn't go overboard with the humor. I, I like, I like how you put it, that they, they humanized the characters with some of the humor and that and i think that's very well stated but yeah it it feels like some of the movies the more recent movies we've seen they've gone a little overboard with some of the some of the humor and and so this was yep this was kind of just the right amount of humor and and i mean even some of even even something like you have the the regular humorous like the word like the jokes but you also had like the cloak doing some funny things with like, uh, you know, yep. wiping away tears and all the, all this sort of thing. So, yes. it, you know, even some of that was just kind of subtle, but not like, not too much of it. Yep. And the cloak humor is the sort of stuff that is more the almost slapstick type yes. of stuff that sometimes goes too yes. far in the MCU, especially recently. But in this one, again, they didn't do it that often. And it really worked because I think it was unexpected and it was cool to see that almost personality come out of the cloak by doing that. So, and it wasn't, it wasn't all the time. Yes. It was just a few little moments. So, I, I, no, that, I, I really think they did a nice job on that. I actually read that the, uh, the, the tear thing with the cloak was actually Benedict Cumberbatch's idea that he, he had suggested to, for a levity in that moment. And it ended up being in the film, and I, and I thought it was quite great. There you go. That's awesome. So let's talk about the special effects, because that was one thing I did not remember quite as much going into the going into this rewatch. There is some very <laughs> trippy special effects in this film. And, you know, we, we yep. talked about the budget, $165 million. And I was, when I read that number after watching the movie again, Holy cow! They got a lot for their money because it the some of the stuff they were doing in the mirror dimension and stuff with like the cities just kind of folding in on each other and the big battle in New York where the ancient one ends up dying. There is some crazy, crazy Inception level sort of stuff going on uh, through throughout this whole thing, and it was it was just fantastic to see. It is fantastic, but I yeah. will admit that as somebody who's a big fan of like the Ditko stuff in the comics and a lot of the other, I'm not sure that mysticism is as easy to show on screen as it is for Chris Piccolo to draw. There is something about uh-huh. these where it was spectacular, uh-huh. but 
I still think I like the comic books in some ways and the way they do this stuff better than the way that the movies can do it. And partly yeah. that may be that they did decide to do a more physical, that kind of folding magic kind of thing. Right. But while the effects were really well done and they were effective, after a little while, all of the folding stuff did not impress me as much as I think some of the Ditko splash pages did. Well, they, they talked about sort of like the dark dimension definitely pulled from some of the, the Steve Ditko early stuff the, that that looked fantastic there the, when you get to the dark dimension and dormammu yes. and, and dormammu just in general that is yeah. one of the places where i do think the special effects were simply fantastic and really recalled sort of some of yeah. the craziness and the the horror of the ditko comic art or you know some of the the better artists on doctor strange i really enjoyed everything about the the interactions with dormammu Sure. I so I get I definitely totally get that. The the interesting thing is that we we see it right away at the beginning of the film. You have the the like him Caecilius running off with the pages and being followed by the ancient one and and we see the folding of of the buildings and stuff and yeah, it did look really cool that at at that opening scene, but then we have the big scene in New York later on in the film and it's basically the same thing happening. And I, and I would almost say that, like, you know, with all the kind of twists and turns and things that were happening in there, it was kind of sometimes hard to follow yeah. what was going on and where things were going and uh, things were coming in screen, then off screen and, and, and all this sort of thing. And I would have a hard time believing that even the, like, the characters, if they were actually in that thing, would have a hard time, I think, absolutely going on so it, it did end up feeling a bit repetitive but i will tell you this i did like that ending sequence because it, it it you know we talk about all these marvel films that end with a city getting destroyed right yep you have uh, all this all these things happening we get there to hong kong and the city's already destroyed and the interesting thing is strange starts to turn back time and mm -hmm. things start putting being put back Puts together, it back together, almost in opposite of every Marvel movie we've nope. seen. You know, the big third act destruction is now the big third act. We're putting things back together again, and and so they're like dodging cars that are you know like flying back to where they were before, and and like buildings that are you know reassembling themselves and stuff. So I I thought it was I thought it was really really unexpected that 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 you know i was solely expecting another big yep. you know fight scene where where basically hong kong blows up and in fact that's the actual opposite of what happens by the end of you know they yep. go there it's already blown up and then it ends up back together again by the end of the film so yep i i really liked that and and it was definitely a different take yeah that was cool in, in yeah, and in reading about it, it it does sort of like I think they talk about like people looking at all those city folding scenes as being a rip rip off of Inception because we saw that in 
in, sure yep in inception but and, and even scott derrickson talks about he says i thought inception was most, one of the most visually interesting movies of the last six or seven years but that was seven years ago now that that came out and i felt like it was a it was the tip of an interesting visual effects iceberg, and I wanted to go crazy with the idea of spatial manipulation. And, you know, I was reading about how they had, you know, they had looked at, like, surrealist artwork, and they talked about, you know, photographers that, that do this. They even talked about the mobile game Monument Valley. If you've ever played Monument Valley, it's 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 this spatial game where you have to keep turning this like tower and by turning the tower you're able to continue up the tower and so it's it's a really it it's definitely been done but it, i think it i think it it's great that they use that as sort of an inspiration or a jumping off point to do something you know even more with it oh. huh very cool yeah and i i do think Everything is somehow building off somebody else. So I'm not worried about whether something is, you know, ripped off from someone else or whatever. It's It looked great, and it definitely did look unique in the in fact that he did really build on it. But the, you know, the stuff that was Escherish and, and a lot of that was actually a lot of fun. It's just, I think you can you can get your fill of that sort of stuff relatively quickly if you're not careful. So I'm glad that by the end they'd moved to like the dark dimension and doing some of that stuff and and kind of moved to a different way of of dealing with the magic and the resolution. So, yeah. So I will I will note um, as far as visual effects for the film, we had Industrial Light and Magic, Method Studios, The Frame Store. We've heard of The Frame Store quite a bit. Lola VFX, Luma Pictures, Rise FX, Crafty Apes. And SPOV are all different visual effects companies that worked on 1,450 effects shots in the film. So if you're curious just how much that took in order for it to happen, there you go. That's 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 a lot of shots. And that, like I said, I'm surprised that they were able to get that into $165 million mm -hmm. with, with that much work being done. Yep. All right, Dwayne. So, I think we, uh, we we mostly covered everything we normally would. You usually have some tidbits for us heading into the end here. What uh, what do you have for us? Sure. So, you know, we always talk about kind of the working title of the film. Principal photography for Doctor Strange began in Nepal on November fourth, twenty fifteen, under the working title Checkmate. Director Scott Derrickson was actually a huge Doctor Strange fan from the comics and that, and spent his own money to do a concept video that he used to pitch to Marvel so that he could get the job for directing the film. Um, speaking of uh, Derrickson, he actually had talked about, after, after the movie was released, that he had wanted to potentially feature the Dream Demon Nightmare, who we actually saw in comic sure. last week and his world the dream dimension but ultimately decided to save that for a potential mm -hmm. sequel uh, 
Juatel Egeofor, who played uh, Mordu, uh, the uh, Master Mordu, is actually a fifth degree black belt in karate. So if his nature, if his fighting looked especially good, it's because you know he's quite familiar with with uh, with, with that. So mm-hmm. that that was kind of fun and interesting. The building number seen on the Portal to New York was 177A Bleecker Street, the location of the Sanctum Santorum. This is the actual address for a townhouse apartment shared by Marvel comic book writers Gary Fidrich and Roy Thomas in the 1960s, the latter of whom wrote several Doctor Strange stories. So that I did not realize that that had some significance. Yep. They always tend to. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Did you did you catch the Moon Knight reference? I did not the, uh... actually. This this is news to me. So there is a yes, though. So there is a Moon Knight reference in the New York Sanctum. One of the relics is a white mask with a ankh next to it. This is in reference to Moon Knight, the superhero who is empowered and sometimes possessed by the Egyptian god Khonshu and wielding a stick shaped like the Ankh. So, Dan, I was researching this, and apparently this isn't the first live-action Doctor Strange. There is there is a TV movie called Doctor Strange from 1978. This is not a good thing. You don't want to bring this up. We don't want to talk about this. We don't want to talk about this? Okay, we can talk about this. It's well, pretty terrible. Is it terrible? I would imagine. It's pretty, it terrible. pretty terrible. Yeah. So, it uh how, did you did you look at any pictures like Google any pictures of the I, actual I looked at the I lo- I went to the IMDb page for it and yeah. saw, saw who was in it and a couple of the pictures but that was yeah it didn't look like it was too fantastic it's fantastically bad but that's that's okay <laughs> nothing wrong with that these these are fun though like if you ever just want to go and, and watch campy old movies to see you know when when you're feeling like you really want to complain about the mcu and you you're you know hating on quantumania Going back and watching the 1978 Doctor Strange or some of these can kind of remind you that it could be worse than Quantumania. (laughs) It could be be worse, yeah. All right, so that's the tidbits. Do you want to talk about some references to the comics? Sure. Um, It's one of the first things is, you know, this was created back in 63, Doctor Strange was, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And... Over time, Vincent Price, the actor, actually was one of the sort of visual cues that was used. Um, We've also talked a little bit about the fact that initially um, there might have been some differences in terms of whether uh, Doctor Strange was supposed to be Asian. But eventually, as they kind of leaned into the fact that he was uh, an American uh, and a white, they went with Stephen and they went with middle name of Vincent in, in homage to Vincent Price. So, uh, Master Mordo, Mordo is Baron Mordo, one of the biggest villains uh, in Doctor Strange's sort of rogues gallery. Uh, He's got the Staff of the Living Tribunal, which is a very powerful 
sort of cosmic weapon uh, in the Marvel Universe. Uh, one point, Doctor Strange considers using an axe as a weapon. This actually comes from the 2016 Doctor Strange comics we just read, where he was severely depowered and took to running around with an axe called Angerumus. Did you get to the point in those comics where you were reading some uh, some of his axe-wielding adventures? I, I, no, I don't think I've quite gotten there yet. I, I got through a few more there books. Are. I've gotten through 16 now. I've got 17 through 20 to finish the Aaron and, and uh, Bacala mm-hmm. run. There, you will start seeing covers where he's got an axe. Okay. And then you'll know you're, you're nearing that. Mondu, or uh, one other thing that's important, Mordu repeatedly talks about the bill coming due. Again, this comes right out of those comics that we read last week, where Strange was always being warned that the bill is going to come due for the magic that he's doing and the consequences of using that magic uh, without paying its price. So that was that was some good stuff with the Empiricool and all of that, and it's just kind of just a little bit of a nod toward it in this one. We do get references to the Oath as well, because you have Nicodemus West and Christine Palmer, also, Doctor Strange is in that spirit fight. We have the, you know, the him kind of being there in his spirit form as there's a an operation being done on him. Cloak of Levitation has a little bit more of a personality in the Oath than it normally does. One of the mages at Camertage is Hamir uh, in the Marvel comics. He is actually Hamir the Hermit, Wong's father, and in a street fight. Wong wields the Wand of Watum, magical artifact as well from, from the comics. So, speaking of which, by the way, before we finish up, Wong. So, who would have figured that now, 13 or 14 years later, Wong is going strong as perhaps the glue of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe? And it all started here, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you wouldn't have expected that his character would be so important. And in fact, actually, I saw a, a, a note, a, a reference that, that uh, Scott Derrickson said that mm-hmm. Wong was going to be an important character going forward. And, and boy, was was he right? This is absolutely he's showing up in movies. He's showing up in TV shows. Uh and I think you're always happy to see him too. I like he's a fun character, and um, I I I I think he just Benedict Wong is a a good actor, and the role that he's playing is just a a, a fantastic role that just is like you said the glue that kind of keeps everything together. Yep, he's found this place as sort of this acerbic supporting character who always is is sort of central to the narrative but he fits in with almost every group and i think they've made a good decision we could have a wong series and everyone would love to see a wong series but by letting him just sort of float around in the background of everything else it keeps the character something that just yeah you're always happy to see him there because he comes in and he does something cool and then he just sort of wanders off before you have time to get tired of him. So, right. yeah. But it all started here. And you can kind of see it because, again, a lot of the scenes he's in, he just steals the steals scene. Steals it, yeah. Directly yeah. away from whoever's there. 
All right, sir. So, we've talked about the movies. Last week we talked about some comics. It is time for the face-off. Now, we have two options. We have The Oath, or we have the Aaron Bacallo comics that we could do as our face-off. Yeah. It's like you were recommending we do The Oath. Is that just because it's a more direct... Sort because of, of the origin thing and and there wasn't a depowering of Doctor Strange uh, through the latter half of that, you know, through after the beginning of that. So it felt like it was more of a direct comparison. However, yeah, there are references to both of those runs in this film. There you go. So for those, for those of you who may be new, each each two weeks we go through this. We've read some comics last week. We watched a movie this week that have similar themes and characters. Dwayne, if you had to pick one, who do you think did it better? The Doctor Strange comics or the Doctor Strange movie? Uh, an interesting choice because I think this movie is actually... Quite good, and I, I remember liking it originally when I when I saw it. I mean, it's got a seven point five rating on IMDb. As you said, there's some pretty interesting visuals. We have Benedict Cumberbatch, who does a fantastic Stephen Strange. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing: I think the best parts of the movie, some of the best parts of the movie, were lifted directly from the comic. And I think the initial, the additional context and the additional things that we saw in the comic books makes me give the edge to the comic books this week. Not because I don't like the movie, because I do like the movie quite a bit. It's just, I'm an MCU guy, but I loved those comic books quite a bit. Like I, I you know, we gushed about them last week. The Oath is a really good small set of books. And like I said, it just, it felt like everything I really liked about the movie I saw in the books and the books came first. So I have to give the nod to the books. You know, they, they built on them. Definitely. There's some extra stuff there, but I think if I had to choose one, I would want the comic book. Here we go. I, I completely agree. Because with Doctor Strange, especially, just the wild imagination that everybody from Ditko onto Bacallo and, and further has been able to do with the character and with magic is hard to replicate in a movie in some ways. They did a great job. I really did enjoy this yeah. movie. I think it's, it's a nice origin story in that you learn about all the new characters, but it propels you through the story and you never really get bored with anything it's a a straightforward fun interesting adventure but the comic books have just this crazy inventiveness that your imagination just sort of explodes while you're reading them and so i like the oath a lot i love the bacallo books i think that in the case of dr strange if you had to pick just one i'd go with the comics and again, no, something for the it. comics this week. I love it. Love it. We don't we don't typically have that. No, um, we don't. Every once so in a there while. We go. Every once in a while. So 
All right, so as far as correspondence this week, we did put out a couple of questions on Twitter and the like, asking what people thought about doing spoilers on the Amazing Spider-Man book. And Mo got back to us there. Uh, a couple folks contacted me as well, saying that they did think it would be a good idea if we visited about it a little bit. So thanks for the, the input on that. And other than that, um, I guess what we're going to do now is we're going to look ahead to next week where we're going for another origin. This time, an origin story that probably we don't even need to bother with because <laughs> almost everybody in America yes. has, has seen this almost as many times as they've seen Batman's parents die, right? But we're going to read some Spider-Man comics to get us ready for the first MCU Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Homecoming. And so, taking Dwayne old school on this, we're going to start with Amazing Fantasy number 15, which is the first appearance of Spider-Man. You've all seen the cover over the years and the like. We're then going to look at Amazing Spider-Man number 1 and 2, with the second book being the first appearance of the Vulture, who is the sort of main adversary of Homecoming. And then, because he's a Bendis fan, and because they're some of the best Spider-Man comics uh, that have really ever been published... We're going to do Ultimate Spider-Man number one through seven, which Brian Bendis and Mark Bagley did a beautiful job on these, not only for these seven books, but for like a hundred books. It's one of the longest runs by a writer-artist team in the history of comics. This is wow. the start of it. The first seven books is the first arc of that. Hoping you'll really enjoy that. And then I'm throwing in, in case he has time, Damage Control number one from 2022, which has our friend Moon Knight in it. We're going to ignore it if we run out of time because of the holiday weekend. But Damage Control does appear in the movie. And so we'll maybe take a quick look, see what that is in the Marvel Universe. And after that, we're going to take a diversion to DC with uh, preparations for the Flash movie. God help us. Yes, I I am. Very looking ahead a couple weeks, I'm very much looking forward to the movie because I can't wait to see my Michael Keaton, my Batman come back. Right, there you go. But, but yeah, until then, I think we've got a uh, fantastic couple of weeks where we're going to look at, at the first Spider Man film. Um, got a preview of Tom Holland as Spider Man in Civil War. And so we get to uh, we get to go um, and actually see his full movie debut. Correct. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I think I, I might have said first appearance, not actually first appearance, first solo movie in the MCU. So there we go. All right, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the, the show this week, on Doctor Strange, both the comics that we read last week, as well as the 2016 movie we talked about today. You could send those comics to us. You can send those comments to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Or you can reach out to us via social media. We're on Twitter at comicsovertime there. Dan, I really like getting those comic book backgrounds for some of these characters before mm -hmm. seeing the films again. 
And I'm very much looking forward to reading some Spider-Man comics for the first time. Yeah, it's going to be good. I haven't read Ultimate Spider-Man in a long time. Looking forward to getting back into those because I really did enjoy them. So that's fun stuff. So we will see you next week, I guess, back here and, uh, and at it once again. Until then, take care, everybody. Have a great week.